You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. So, here's the thing about menopause. It is such a hush-hush topic that I've learned a lot of women actually have no idea when they're going through it. We're not taught about it like we are puberty in school. We don't hear all about what to expect like we do if and when we get pregnant. We just kind of drift into it knowing that at some point our periods will stop for good and there might be weight gain and hot flashes. Well, there are so many symptoms beyond that. Estrogen and progesterone don't just affect your menstrual cycle. They help regulate and modulate your mood, your muscle development, your bone development, your vascular functioning. The list goes on and on and on. And so when those hormones start swinging and declining, it can cause way more than a few night sweats. And if you don't know what to expect, or you don't know that you can expect it years before you actually reach menopause, you can think you're kind of losing your mind. And that brings me to this week's guest, Amanda Thebe, author of Menopocalypse, How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause and How You Can Too. Amanda's story honestly left me angry and dumbfounded. Because the more I hear from all of you in the podcast community and in the Facebook group, the more I hear stories just like this. Women experiencing anxiety, heart palpitations, crushing fatigue, muscle pain, joint pain, depression, migraines, the list goes on and on. And their doctors blow them off. Nobody even tells them it could be menopause. And if they do, they're just like, yeah, it happens. And well, that, that's making me kind of angry. <laughs> and it made Amanda angry too. And it got her mad enough to write a book. And it's a great book. It's, it details her experience, a two-year journey to discovering that she was in menopause, and offers concrete advice on how to advocate for yourself, as well as how to help yourself. Amanda did a ton of research, and she's also very qualified herself as a personal trainer with many specialty certifications. She's a nutrition coach. She's the owner of her own fitness company, Fit and Chips. This was a rich conversation, and she's a great conversationalist, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. I certainly did. Before we get to it, just a couple of quick reminders. One, Stacey Sims is offering her Menopause for Athletes course again. It's a deep dive into menopause for performance-minded women. The course starts next week, November 15th. You can get all the details and sign up at drstacysims.com backslash menopause is coming. Again, that starts next week, so you want to get on that. And second, as a reminder that we have that Facebook group, uh, the Menopause Feisties. The group is growing by leaps and bounds, and it has been awesome. It's been really great to see women in there conversing and helping each other and asking questions and even meeting up for rides and runs. So come on in and join us. Again, it's a private group called the Menopause Feisties. You can just look it up on Facebook and ask to join and we'll let you in. And we'll put a link in the show notes to make it super, super easy. We've been offering Q&A sessions every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the next several weeks. 
and we just pick a topic and you can ask us some questions and we answer them best we can. So come on in and join us. It's been it's been a really, really fun experience. Okay, that is enough for me. Let's get to the show. All right, so I am super stoked that you're here with us. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us today. Thanks for having me on the show, Celine. Let's do this. I'm excited to talk about menopause, even though that's not something I thought I would ever say. <laughs> ever, ever, <laughs> right, ever. I started writing about it when I had zero, zero business writing about it, when I was like 28 for Prevention Magazine, you know, because that was the audience. And I, I look back and I think, I just wish I could write a giant apology. (laughs) Just like, I'm so sorry, everybody, that I just was like, oh, you know, like I knew nothing. But were you, was it a positive menopause article or was it a like, oh, come on, ladies, get over yourself type? Oh, no, no, no. I was never that way. But I didn't, you know, I didn't understand. I just didn't know. Like when you're 28, you have no idea, right? And like... You know, I'm writing it and I'm trying to write it empathetically, but I'm, it's all the, like, I, I, I would have approached, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> I would have approached it very differently. Yeah. I just feel like it, it makes such a difference when you actually know what you're talking about. Imagine that. Oh, my gosh. It. Yeah, <laughs> like having the experience of actually, mm-hmm. you know, talking about it, but then like actually going through it just adds that, you know, element of realness that you can talk from that perspective and I understand the difference between you know experience and actual data but when I Mm -hmm. read menopause like research and data I always say yeah but you haven't thought there's always like the yeah but because we come from it from like a bit more of an emotional perspective right yeah well when you when you've gone through it you just have a you're just so much more grounded and you you understand more I, I mean I think that I you know, I read that part in your book about feeling a little bad about when you were a younger trainer, maybe, and being a bit more dismissive. And I feel that so hard because, like, when I was working at prevention, I would be training women, and they were all 40-plus, and a lot of them were going, and I didn't. You know, they would talk about that stuff, and I had no reference, you know? So I'd just be like, well, exercise helps, you know? <laughs> like, like, you know, that's all you know, right? Like. I mean, well, when just I was go exercise, exactly yes, my, it does help. But, of know. course, it helps, but you know, not if you're feeling like absolutely crap and you can barely get off the sofa, you know. And so mm-hmm. I had um, in Toronto, I had an in-person business. I had clients that would come for either um, individual one-on-one sessions with me, or like I did a small group training session. I think it maxed out at about ten or twelve, and it tended to be nearly all women. I had maybe two guys came. And a few times they would say, oh, my wrists are really sore today. Oh, I don't want to jump because I think I might pee. We were quite open. You know, they would tell me yeah. things. Um, and then, oh, my menopause symptoms are killing me. And I'd be like, oh, you'll be fine. I bet you're fine at the end of the session. And it wasn't that I wasn't caring. It was that I was mm-hmm. dismissive. And I didn't actually get what they meant. You know, like if your wrists, How could you? You know, if your wrists are sore, then why don't you try this different position in the push-up? And it probably did help them, but it didn't, like it wasn't actually acknowledging the fact that, you right. know, there may be something else going on. And so I do, I, in my book, I do sort of say, and I'm sorry, because mm-hmm. I, get, I get that maybe I just, I, 
it wasn't that I didn't care. I just didn't know. And there is a massive knowledge gap in our industry. And, you know, from being mm -hmm. in it for decades and decades and, and having all of these specialties that we do when you're a personal trainer, you know, you'll do a, a rehabilitation course or a pelvic floor course or a seniors course. There isn't really a menopause specific one. And in fact, the message is exactly the opposite. The message is like, there's no difference, well, I mean, you know this, but there's no difference from between how a man and a woman should train. They still need strength training. They, and, then I'm, and part of me is like, only a man would say that because until you've actually been through perimenopause specifically and you really have all of these obstacles and challenges, you can't just forge forward like you used to. It just doesn't make any sense. Hundred mm. percent, which 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 brings me because I'm very very interested in your origin story, if you will, um, because because menopause is so very different for every woman, right? And it can be super super confusing. Like some women skate through it with like brittle nails and you know maybe a couple hot flashes, and you know some like myself, like you know I had a an array of the sort of classic symptoms that were that were mostly manageable and others like it turns their world like literally upside down and they don't maybe even know that they're going into it they because nobody talks about it and even doctors aren't super well versed in it by and large so you know i i have talked to some physicians who have like women come in and literally think like they're dying because they're waking up with like their heart palpitations and panic attacks and racing thoughts and they're like oh yeah well Maybe you're nervous, you know, or maybe like, and then it, it's, they're, they're in menopause. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit, because I really like that part in your book, like how you felt when you were like 40 and then how you felt maybe just two or three years later. Yeah, I was a tall, smug bitch at 40. Like I sort of went <laughs> into it. I remember having like my 40th party, dancing on the bar, like, like a total um, loving, yep, loving yep. life and feeling strong like I and yep. it, seriously though I like I, I did feel in the best like not in the best shape of my life but really healthy you mm -hmm. know like you I've invested a lot of time and energy and education and just trying to be like really well and healthy and it was never about like how I looked it was just like more about how I felt and my attitude and all of those things and so it's a super important part of my life. And so going into my 40s, I actually felt like I was like a good authentic role model for women that they could look at and see that, you know, it's not rocket science, but you can feel in, uh, your best in your 40s. And so that was my sort of like approach going into it. And then I, I started to feel unwell at around about 42. But actually, in retrospect, my last child, my only have two, sorry, but my um, older, my youngest boy was born when I was 38. And stuff had started to sort of change, but not dramatically. But, you know, I'd maybe get, I used to get really bad allergies just before my period. It was really strange. And then I'd get really exhausted and run down for like four or five days before my period. That had never happened in my life before. But when I was 42, I, start, I got really unwell. And it was not related to me, anything to do with hormones. Like I came, I was doing a boxing class. It was particularly hard. And I thought maybe that just pushed too hard. You know, sometimes when you do and you don't feel good, you just feel spent. So I, went, I ended up going to bed and I ended up being there for two or three days with this crazy vertigo that had me throwing up everywhere and crawling on the floor. Like I couldn't walk without like banging into the walls and things. And um, 
I, I actually just assumed it was a virus and let it go because I got better. But then it happened again and again and again with like no regularity at all, but I'd see double vision. I'd lose feeling in my face and my hands. Like it was, act, it was actually really scary. And it got to the, and, and, and anyway, so for about two years, I would, was going to neurologists. I was going to ear, nose and throat doctors, vestibular rehabilitation specialists. I was getting MRI, CAT scans. I went to emerge accident and emergency or ER, whatever you call it here. My, my sister-in-law um, worked in the hospital and she said, I think you've got a brain tumor. Like I literally oh my think God. <laughs> <laughs> she's a bit of the worst case scenario type person. <laughs> but like, but it, I got to the point where I was thinking, I wonder whether it is something like that though, because I, I mm -hmm. literally, there's something neurological happening and nobody mm -hmm. can find out what it is. And so it, this two year journey ended with most of the doctors saying, we can see you're not well, but we don't actually know what's wrong with you. They were trying mm -hmm. to help me, but nobody actually joined the dots of all of those symptoms, which now included depression mm -hmm. and some incontinence. Nobody ever joined any of these oh dots. Oh, no, like just keep, well, that's the thing with perimenopause. It just keeps giving, right? You just think you're over it, and then some other thing whacks you, and you go, oh. And um, so I went to, I, I actually was in a little bit of a pit of despair. It got to the point where um, I didn't realize I had depression, but it, it's clear to me now looking back. Um, but I would get up, take the kids to school, work on the morning with my clients, and then go home and literally sit on the sofa for, for hours dreading going to school pick up dreading having to make dinner and put the kids to bed I just wanted to go to bed and stay there it was a pretty miserable time of my life and it, it worried my husband it worried the children and and like I said nobody was giving me any real answers and um so my quality of life and those around me was heavily impacted and something mm. you know I had to and I just actually at one point thought well maybe this is just how who I am now Maybe oh. I've just become a miserable old cow who, who that's what people are going to have to put up with, right? <laughs> it was awful. And so anyway, I w eventually went to um, an annual exam with my gynecologist mm -hmm. and I broke down. I just was bawling. I just had reached the end of my lion. He sat there and he listened and he was empathetic and he just said, listen, I hear you, I see you, these symptoms are valid. This is perimenopause. This is what you're experiencing. Had you heard that word before? I told him to fuck off. I don't know if I'm allowed to share. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this show, but that was my That's instinct. <laughs> I just was like, and, and he, he was a bit taken aback. And I went, I'm 43, I was nearly 44. I'm 43 year old and you're telling me I'm in menopause. And he just said, well, he said perimenopause, but I, you know, and he went, yes, he said it can happen in your 40s. And the guy was this old guy. He'd, been, he'd seen it all. He, was, he just wanted to help me. And, you know, it was, I felt such a relief knowing that he'd validated what was happening. Um, and the first thing he did was offer me hormone therapy. And I turned him down because I was like in my head going, the dude wants to give me breast cancer. So there's no way I'm taking that. Hmm. Bearing in mind, this is like eight years ago now. Right. And then, um, and so he offered me an antidepressant um, and the antidepressant had off-label benefits and it's a valid treatment for some menopause symptoms mm -hmm. of helping mm -hmm. with migraines, hot flashes, and of course my depression. And I went to Was have... Was it those 
Was it migraines that you were having? Yes, and so it turned out, sorry, so it turned out that I was having um, vestibular migraines or migraine with aura. And, mm, and the interesting mm -hmm. thing about those is that, you know, you tend not to get headaches with them, which I never did. So I would have this like numbness come over me and lose feeling in my face and all down one side of my body, lose my vision and then start puking up and never once thought there were migraines. And so... Because of the estrogen changes. And right? it was completely intrinsically yeah. linked to the estrogen and so yeah. it was a it was a start of like me understanding that there was a huge gap in my knowledge base mm -hmm. i also mm -hmm. felt a massive amount of shame around it this is like i'm talking about eight years ago i felt ashamed yeah, yeah, ashamed that i wasn't i'd gone from being this 40 year old like rocking it girl to this like mm -hmm. woman who hadn't got a handle on anything anymore because mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. started to fall by the wayside I realized that the medical community weren't supporting me mm -hmm. and I just was just like I want to I want to really be open about this and I want to I want to make a change and I don't know how to do that. So I wrote this article on my blog and I, I think I called it the shite that nobody ever told me about perimenopause <laughs> because it literally was the first time I'd heard the word like I'd never right. heard it. And um and and it probably is not valid now but I've kept it on my website because it it was an entry point for me into talking about it in the fitness world and mm -hmm. a lot and it was it was it's been viewed like 60,000 times which isn't big in, wow. in but for me it was a big um, amount but and it made me it made That's me 60,000 people that you have reached don't, well it was it was 60, getting into a stadium and talking to 60,000 but it, right? yeah it, it was literally to me uh, it made me realize that there was a conversation that needed to happen and that's mm -hmm, sort of mm -hmm. where it came from so I have a menopause community now on Facebook where it literally is just a, a, a soundboard mm -hmm. for people to talk about and I started like then trying to dig into the research about you know from a medical standpoint what we know like what from treatment options what we know from what we can do from lifestyle perspectives mm -hmm, it's actually mm -hmm. how I came about the book raw I'd never heard, I'd never been introduced to that book before and it was really good to know that there was somebody out there talking about the female physiology because it's a big missing part in our in our world, it still is a big missing part, but it's, it still is. We're trying to change cha that. It's changing, that, yeah. Yeah, that book is, uh, for those who don't know, Roar is the book that Stacey Sims, uh, who I had on the live launch, and I put out on women-specific physiology. So we, we sort of went a little, a little tangential. I want to know, like, he gave you antidepressants, right? Like, let's go back a little bit to yeah. that. Like, so you were responsive to that? You, you thought that that was okay? I and fell within four weeks back to myself. It was great because mm -hmm. I'd been in the situation where I was a very like, open person and I, you know, I'm an extrovert. I love people. You know, mm -hmm. I think we're very similar there. Like we, we like to meet people and talk to them. I'd like, been in a cocoon for two years. I didn't want to see anyone. Didn't want, I had like, I, one good, really best friend in Toronto and she was the only person I sort of what could cope with being around. Otherwise, I sort of avoided as people as much as possible. I couldn't drink. <laughs> that was a bit of a bummer for me. I mean, it's not like I was a big alcoholic, but like, no, it just, no, I, just, it. I just mean the social thing. I avoided yep. socially going out because I didn't want to have to go, oh, well, you know, it gives me migraines or I don't feel good afterwards. And I just was like sick of complaining and bored with myself, right? And so within mm -hmm. four weeks of taking the antidepressants, I felt completely better completely better like I just was like so that my main symptoms when I saw the gynecologist were my migraines 
like mm -hmm. a chronic fatigue that I couldn't sleep off and a depression, which I mm -hmm. knew then. And the, the antidepressants helped me with the migraines and the, and the um, depression. There mm -hmm. was still this um, fluctuating um, fatigue, it w but it was chronic because it never truly lifted. You know, it was like just there and sometimes it was just really there. Um, and then I started to get incontinence not too long after that. Um, and that was new to me. I'd had two kids, was bouncing on trampolines like nobody's business and, and, and went for a run when I was in the middle of Scotland. My family, I have family in Scotland and went for a run, got to the end of my run and the kids were in the playing field playing um, football and one of them said, oh, look, mum's Peter pants. I didn't even know it oh, happened. No. And I looked down oh, and I was God. like, I just want to die. Oh. I was like, why? Did <laughs> and I didn't know why it had happened and I didn't feel it and all of these things. And so, you know, and so that, again, these were things I had to relearn. And even going to a pelvic health physiotherapist, which I think every woman should have as just a, a free gift in life. Mm -hmm. She didn't even sort of make the connection between that and hormones. Like she... Really? No, and so she she did identify that I was a little bit hypertonic in that area, which was true because I'm forever squeezing my glutes, you know, <laughs> and it was a little bit tight. But she didn't. But her the practice manager who I went to see afterwards completely made the dots, and I've I've made a point of like using her in my reference guides all the time because we know that the declining estrogen can impact, you know, the our integrity down there, and it can cause many issues for women and. Um, and so while the antidepressants worked initially, they eventually didn't, you know, I eventually started getting more and more symptoms that need, I needed more help with, but my quality of life definitely did start to improve. So two, two questions during that whole period, were you, were you able to work? Were you able to go and train with your clients and stuff or? Yeah, I did. And, you know, it was interesting because um, my husband's been super supportive through all of this. Like, even in the the, un the unknown period, he was very much like, whatever you need, I'm here to help you with. You know, mm -hmm. he never was like, what's wrong? What on earth's going on? He could see that I was struggling with something. Um, but he did at one point say something to me. He said, how come you can, like, put on this rosy glow and this shiny face for all your clients and you come home and you look like you don't even want to be here? And I was like, because I feel like I have to. I feel like I've got to just forge through and put a mask on. And I, and I think that that's anybody who's had mental health problems will recognize that. So I faked it as much as I possibly could, but it was exhausting. Mm -hmm. you know, that, makes, that makes a sense. Truly exhausting, yeah. So, um, but it was a bit of a wake-up call that he recognized that. All of it was, I had so many wake-up calls, but um, it did make me um, understand that I had to, I was embarrassed about taking antidepressants at first. It was definitely a, oh my God, is this what I've come to? I feel, I feel like I failed and um, mm -hmm. I needed to do a lot of work with myself to appreciate that, you know, um, we do need to have a different attitude towards mental health. There should be no stigma around medication if you need it. I, I have a son who's on the autism spectrum and all his life he will need to be on antidepressants. Um, just as just to help him function, and mm -hmm. and so I was like, it's I brain have, chemistry. It's brain chemistry, and I'm like, if I have, if I'm sending out messages to my own kids that I'm ashamed, then they'll never, be, they'll never be accepting of it. So yeah, there was I've had to do a lot of digging. <laughs> I no, I understand, but it's it is it, it's it's so stubbornly entrenched, and and I'm I'm happy to hear you speaking so openly. And you know, I had a daughter. They they same thing. She. 
uh, was on the spectrum. She never got diagnosed with anything, but you know, pervasive developmental delay, whatever that meant, right? But they wanted to put her on Prozac when she was three, like a microdose. And I was like, ah! But, you know, he's like, you can build patterns in your brain one way or another. And she's not building those healthy patterns. And he was a best thing I ever did for her. Best thing I ever did for her. You know, and like, and if she wasn't making insulin, would I have thought twice? No, I know. You know what I mean? It's a piece of the puzzle. And there's people out there that know more than us. And we have to trust the experts. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, there's obviously lots of things you can do yourself. And and that's valid. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm very much about, like, we have to lose that stigma. So if I had to go on them again, I wouldn't think twice about it. And I would be very open about it, you know. So what did you do? You know, so let's go back to the soccer. I just called it soccer. Is it okay? To, is it, would they actually Well, it was soccer, oh, actually. It, soccer? it okay. was soccer because my, fo- my son plays football now. They both play football, football. Your football. American football. American right. football, okay. yeah. Um, okay, let's go back to the field. Uh, you've, you've just peed yourself, and it's, that's a terrible feeling. Um, what do you do then? Like, what have you, what, what, how are you helping yourself as your symptoms are now worsening, even though that you're taking these you know, antidepressants that have sort of helped and now they're not helping. Yeah. And so I, I actually ended up um, going to, and by this time I'd moved to Houston. So I've, I've left Canada. I'm in a, a, a country where I felt completely supported by the healthcare system, right? That's sort of free for all. And, you know, I, I, and I moved to Houston, but I also did have really good healthcare here because I came with my husband's company, but I have seen like how it works for someone with good healthcare and someone without it. Um, I, by this time had already been down the menopause rabbit hole, was talking to experts, had felt, felt very comfortable with the, um, using hormone replacement therapy as an option, as a treatment. I knew I needed it because I just wasn't doing well. I didn't feel myself. And I, I, I find it really hard to describe, but I just wasn't, still wasn't me. I wasn't thriving. I wasn't like being the person I was meant to be. Um, but I was also having symptoms that I knew were because of an estrogen deficiency. The vaginal atrophy is like a, a big one for a lot of women. And if it's not dealt with, it, it doesn't go away. And it can stay with them for the rest of their life. So started getting um, yeast infections and urinary tract infections. Um, like I was having to wear a tampon when I was going out for a run, which I was like, oh, God, this fuck my life. Like, this is awful, you know. Sex was starting to be painful. So there was things like that happening and um as well as like the migraines would come and go still they were just very weaker but like I just wasn't being the best person so I went to my doctor who I loved he refused to give me hormone replacement therapy told me it would give me breast cancer um but I knew it I knew my I had the information I'd done my research I told him that it was the first line treatment option that was recommended by the North American Menopause Society that I insisted that he give me hormone replacement therapy. He prescribed to me Premarin, which was a synthetic oral tablet. And it's a valid Mm -hmm. treatment, but it's not one of the most sophisticated ones. And we've come a long way since the early 2000s. And I wanted one that was a bioidentical one. So it's similar to the estrogen that the body produces. Mm -hmm. That's transdermal. You can stick it on with a patch or gel. Like there's, it it doesn't need to go through the system or through the liver. And and so there's all of these like more valid options. So... He relented and said, fine, but your insurance may not cover you. And I was like, I don't care. Like, I mean, at the point I was like, just write their prescription. 
So then he did. And then he said, okay, then I'll see you in three months. And we should really talk about if this is a valid option for you. Um, and I said, well, where's my progesterone that goes with it? I have a uterus. I need the, project, the progesterone to protect my uterus. And he went, no, you don't. And I went, you know what I want now? I want a, I want a referral to a menopause specialist, please. I want a new doctor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. He, uh, he did the referral. He was pissed with me. He wasn't happy with maybe the way I'd uh, challenged him. But that evening, I went home. And I got an email from my doctor and it was like, thank you so much. I had no idea. I went onto the North American Menopause Society. I went onto the obstetrician, the um, American Association of Gynecology and Obstetrician. He went onto all of these different journals and he went, you were right. And I didn't know, I like, no, but I've never learned this. And, and I've learned since that time that, you know, doctors are resistant because they've never had any menopause management training and it's just there are re there's research on that it's an abysmal number yeah. that have had yeah. any well, training well in in any obstetrician gynecologist that go through medical school only um 20 percent of them opt to take this as a as a extra course and so you go to a gynecologist there's 80 percent of them may not know anything about this it's it's a true it's a tragic disservice to women. That's yeah. insane. That is insane. So then you Every what? single woman is going to go there. And Every so single one. What happens? Everyone. If, what happens if you're a, a woman and you go to your doctor and you don't have that basic grounded knowledge? I mean, I did, right? And so you right. get dismissed. You get turned away by the doctor who tells you that you're going to get breast cancer. I'm not giving you it. He gives you an antidepressant because he wants to give you something. It'll probably help. But it's not it's just not right in so many mm -hmm. ways and so mm -hmm. I think part of the like the message like platforms like your podcast can have and and the fact I wrote a book about it and mm -hmm. then it's starting mm -hmm. to get national coverage is that hopefully something will change because mm -hmm. in the UK now um, it's a very different healthcare system and it's a little bit easier to penetrate but they now have regulated guidelines on how to prescribe for your for your patients so if a, if a doctor refuses, it's malpractice. It's wow. that simple. It might, wow. take, it might take a, long, a lot to change over here, though, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, we are, it, there are, thankfully, you know, people are speaking more. It, but it's funny, I just keep going back to the, you know, that Michelle Obama, when she finally talked about it. I don't know if you're familiar, like, yes, you know, I, she did yes. a podcast and yes, she, she you know, her words are so important. She's like, we're going through it like it's not even happening. Yeah. You know, like we're going through all this and like sort of pretending like you, you, went, you spent two years going through this thing and going yeah. to work and putting on this happy face and people are doing this stuff and the doctors are like, no, and they're not even up on the science. And, you know, for, for people who are listening, who are like, what, it, what is with the breast cancer thing? You know, the Women's Health Initiative and the Million Women Study, these, these were two big studies, landmark, they called them at the time, mm -hmm. happened in early 2000s where they actually halted them because the women were at an increased risk for breast cancer and heart disease and stroke and stuff. Um, but the, the women in these cohorts and in these, in these studies, in the Women's Health Initiative, they were mar largely older. They were 60. They were past menopause. They were using old formulations of estrogen. You know, all of it. The study has since been very largely just put aside. You know, and, and, the, and all of the the North American Menopause Association, all of the, the organizations now are saying, yes, this is like a frontline treatment. Yes. Hormone replacement, menopause hormone treatment, whatever you want to call it, hormone therapy. Like if you're within 10 years of menopause, they're like, yes, 
You know, like this can really help with all of the stuff that you're talking about. And it, the, the benefits far outride. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's simply put as well, like a woman who is on hormone therapy versus a woman who isn't on hormone therapy will likely last longer, live longer, because it's a, it has protective factors it against the things mm-hmm. that actually do kill us. Um, and so there's going to be some people, women out there that can't take hormone therapy for sure. And that's all, right. it's, every medicine's the same, but the right. majority of women, it's, an, it's a valid option. And if you're at the stage where your quality of life is in the pan, it should be something that is offered to you. And that's the bit, the bottom line of it. And, um, you know, that um, health initiative, the Women's Health Initiative, um, you know, a lot of the researchers have just said it was too quick to be published and, you know, they didn't mm-hmm. have time to mm-hmm. review it and it wasn't peer reviewed, all of those things. But, um, the New York Times, I think it was, did the massive headline, HRT causes breast cancer. And they've never ever like spoken out and said, oh, actually, <laughs> we're wrong. By the way. By the way. And so that yeah. fear still... It ex- really stuck. Yeah, well, it stuck and that fear still exists. And I, and I, I, am, I actually don't blame doctors for saying that, you know, it causes breast cancer because they've never, you know, it's... There's so much research comes out about everything all the time. How on earth are they supposed to keep up on it? They don't right. get this as their training. Like, I think it's only the more progressive, forward-thinking doctors that keep on top of things. Um, so, so, so actually, for women, it might be worth speaking to your doctor about it because you may not know, right? It's that 100%. simple. Yeah. So how, what, did, what did you end up getting then, and how did, how did it work for you? So I initially went on... Um, it was a transdermal patch. I don't know the brand name of it, and a, micro, a micronized progesterone. Um, yep. And so I was on a fairly low dose. And the thing is with um, hormone therapy is that it's a micro dose of anything you've ever taken if you've taken birth control pills. You know, like it's a very mm. small dose that sort of um, evens out that threshold and just makes those fluctuations less intense. And mm-hmm. in postmenopause, it's a, it can be a protective factor. But hands up here, I don't take anything right now. And I am postmenopausal, but mm-hmm. I actually struggle to make hormone therapy work for me. So I am hmm. a valid proponent of it, but there's plenty of women out there that don't do well on it. And I was one of them, unfortunately for me. And it was down to the progesterone. I just uh, had a, a huge intolerance to it. And I tried what was, of, What did that look like? It made me go insane. Like it literally oh. made me paranoid and crazy. And there's huge That's papers. Like be- <laughs> yeah, I know. And there's papers being written on um, progesterone. And I tried almost every type of progesterone out there, including the Manera coil and pessaries and everything. And it just didn't work for me. And so um, right now I don't need, I don't, have any symptoms I feel really good and I'm healthy but part of me is like I want the protective factor I want that micro dose so that like my heart's strong and my bones are strong and all of those things but you know because I don't take it I'm so proactive in all the other health aspects I do to you know so um and so I am like I just it whether I take it or not doesn't matter in fairness it's just that women should know that it is an option and they should at least be offered it if they want it you know right yeah right so you, you tried it for a while and then you, I did you never it. had any? I was actually success? on it for like nearly two years um, okay. on and off, you know, just trying new things. And my mm-hmm. gynecologist was brilliant and he was very supportive. And, you know, it just, it worked for a bit and then it didn't, you know, then right. I just started getting symptoms that like my migraines came back maybe, or, you know, I started feeling a bit depressed again. And so it just, it's a 
It's a moving target as well. Hormone therapy usually needs to be the dose adjusted over time because mm-hmm. as the hormones change, so do the, the treatment options that you take need to change. And th- that moving target, it just never felt great for me. And so as frustrating as it is, I can't just slap a patch on and get on with it. It wasn't right. for me, yeah. So, so then what? You know, like what happens, you know, that you, you take that course, that's not so successful. Um, what was your next course of action to find yourself and make yourself feel more like yourself? Yeah, and so, I mean, like I say, I, I was on it for, I think it was about 18 months, two years ago that I stopped taking it. Everything seems to be in two-year chunks for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, so I'm 50, actually tomorrow, so it's my, so like it's been, it's been eight years since the whole thing sort of started, mm-hmm. and um I've been postmenopausal for 18 months, so I ha- I just haven't been symptomatic, so I've been fine. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's been times when I've, like, I still struggle with the vaginal atrophy. That's definitely something that is a struggle for me. But even using localized estrogen cream, which is something that even women who have had breast cancer can use because it just mm-hmm. stays in the area. It gives me, like, a super vagina, <laughs> which isn't super at all. <laughs> what does that <laughs> What does that even that mean? <laughs> I don't even know. I usually understand, but I actually I don't know what that means. It sounds like a good thing, but it's not. It sounds. It sounds like it just. It just. Uh, You know, I'm going to call this podcast super vagina. Super super vaginas aren't always great. (laughs) They're not always great. It sort of. um, I just. I don't know if it's something in the in the base cream or something, but it made me swollen really swollen oh, okay like okay. swollen okay. and fat and like all plump which is i suppose is what it needs down there but it just was just too much and so right. there's lots of other options out there and so i actually do have i do use something occasionally when i need to and it's called intra rosa and it's a pessary that women can take um and you it's made from dhea which you probably do know of and that's the precursor to testosterone and mm-hmm. estrogen and it's mm-hmm. the the theory is and even the manufacturer even though it's FDA approved and everything, like we think this is what happens, right? So right, you right, you right. don't know how much testosterone and estrogen your body can produce from a, a supplement, and so, mm-hmm. but it does work for me, and it sort of puts that integrity back. And ever since I've is used that over the counter, and it's prescription as well. It's prescription, okay. yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there are there are options out there for everyone, and I would just suggest to women that if you're really struggling to find a doctor who can help you, that to go to the North American Menopause Society website, it's called menopause.org, and you can put Mm -hmm. your zip code in, and it lists all of the specialists that have been certified by them. That's a Mm -hmm. really good place to start. Some hospitals have menopause clinics. Um, There's some telemedicine um, companies now. One of them is called Genev, which is G-E-N-N-E-V. They're a Mm -hmm. brilliant company. It's like a femtech company, so it's menopausal women started this company because they were tired of like not having medical help nice. so so they've like in every state they've tried to gather a menopause specialist that will help you and it's like 35 bucks i think and they can prescribe for you so you have video oh, wow. yeah and so i think we're starting to be served as women here in yeah. north america not ideal but it, there's i think that you know there's options out there for everyone from a medical perspective so did you, um, you, you've dealt with a lot of the sort of extreme ends of some of the emotional stuff and, and the, the mental stuff. Did you have any of the, like I know for me, like I looked in the mirror one day and I'm like, 
wow, okay, where did my muscles go? Where Where is this weight? You know, and as a trainer, like, it can be a real, it's not great. <laughs> and I'm like, you're doing the same things that you've been doing, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's uh, that's not working so great anymore. Did you, did you run into some body composition? Yeah, and, you know, I think... Uh I don't feel like I've ever had like body dysmorphia, but I bet I have, you know, because, you know, I've never like looked at myself and I hope I haven't had really negative thoughts about myself, but I do judge somewhat. And so that, that's been a work in progress as well. And it's really hard to admit when you're a trainer that you care about what you look like. But it's not vanity. It's okay mm -hmm. to it's okay to care about what you look like. I was always more focused on like how strong I felt and how right. physically um, active I was. Like they were always the drivers, but mm -hmm. but because the knock-on effect is that it gave me a cute bum, then I was okay with that too, right? <laughs> and 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 I think that you know it's okay to like I. The biggest thing I question I hear all the time, and you will too, is like, why am I so fat? Menopause has made me so fat. You hear it so much. So, oh and God, it's almost so a bit, I do it's get difficult. a bit eye rolly with it because I want women not to be hyper-focused on it, but I'd be lying if I didn't go through those feelings myself, right? And it's a, right. It, it's a work in progress for a lot of us. Um, I know that definitely for myself like I think I put on about 10 pounds and uh and so I did feel like it didn't I didn't recognize like the, the softness I called it the menopause flesh blanket that <laughs> like that I that draped over me because I'd always had like my family do we've got a certain body type like a decent muscle tone and I didn't mm -hmm. have any I started like just seeing ripples and I was like what what the heck is that right and it, it was like something that I was like Similar questions like, what have I done differently? Like, why has this happened? Have I took my foot off the pedal? Like, and so rather than, so I could feel the negative thoughts coming in, but rather than focus on them, I just was like, I need to know why this is happening. I actually have to get to the bottom of this. And so I try and dig deep into that, into the book to find out, you know, why like fat gain is accelerated, muscle loss is accelerated through perimenopause and menopause, because it is. But then I was like, well, then what can I do about it, right? So there was all of those things going on. And so, and then in addition to that was the constant negative thought monster where I would look at myself and go, you're gross. And then I would let that get to me. But after a while, I did the work where if I heard that in my head, I was like, let it go. It can fuck off. Like you aren't, yeah. you're better, focus on the things that you are good at and strong at. And that, that's something that I think all women will do all through their lives. Right. 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 It, it, it is. I mean, what I hear, and I'm sure you hear it too. Uh, there's a, there's an enormous mental struggle uh, with that, yeah. you know, because I think, um, you know, one of the things that hit me hardest was this odd sensation of being invisible or wanting to be invisible. Like, it was very strange. Like, I, I'm usually very bold, you know, and all of a sudden, like, I wasn't feeling that way. And it really bothered me. You know, and it really bothered me that, like, some of my confidence wasn't there. And I had always felt pretty confident. Um, and I think that combined with everything else that's going on, it can be very rattling. You know, it can be very, like, you feel the ground shifting underneath your feet and you're not really sure how to get sure-footed again. Um, and I, I feel like what, you, what 
I hear you've done is sort of leaning into it, you know, instead of sort of shirking away from it and going, okay, I'm just going to like hide in this corner, but like really leaning into it and figuring it out and figuring out how to like talk to yourself differently and look at yourself differently and, and work with your changing physiology, you know, which is what we're all about, you know, over, over here. I think that it can really help, you know, finding community and like really not not being afraid to speak up and and search for solutions and advocating for yourself it's work (laughs) well I was going to say it's not a it's not a quick process and and that's what I think is really what you said then was brilliant because you know we're in a we live in an environment our world where where they see those insecurities in women like the and we're peddled at with quick diets and quick Mm -hmm, supplements mm -hmm, and magic mm -hmm, pills mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and it's it really upsets me. I get really frustrated with it because I feel like, well, I obviously have enough education to be able to question them, but most women who are just desperate and vulnerable and feeling like they don't recognize themselves will, will just fall for these like gimmicks that are out there. And it really upsets me. And, um, you know, the, the leaning into it part, like the changing our mindset around the, the way our body has to change and evolve is where the real magic happens. But that doesn't sell products, right? That's like the old boring, slow, keep chipping away at it mentality. But it's actually what we all need to be doing. And, you know, going back to your invisible sort of thing, that was exactly me. And it's especially so when I was in the in the midst of a depression but the the cognitive impairments that happen in menopause are, are so overwhelming um that you know i would i remember i think i talk about this in the book where i was sat at the dinner table and i already sort of was finding comfort being in, on the back seat which was really unusual for me as well but then then i tried to interject into a conversation that my family was having they didn't even hear me and i sort of and it almost confirmed that yeah, maybe you are irrelevant now. Maybe actually, you know, and it was, it was gut wrenching. And the same happened to me at book club. I mean, I went, I went to one of the book clubs when I didn't want to go when I wasn't feeling socially active. And I remember giving my opinion on something or trying to, but everybody kept talking over me. And I just was like, I can't even hear my voice. I can't even find my voice anymore. And so, I hear all of this from women, and it just does a number on our self confidence and self esteem. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then you add on to that weight gain. Then mm-hmm. you add on to this. All of those are the physical symptoms that mm-hmm. are happening. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a whack-a-mole time where you just... <laughs> and, then, and, then the, and then the confidence that then does translate over to our athletic ability. I, I talk about Susan Kleiner. Dr. Susan Kleiner is this brilliant female researcher in the US. I actually don't know where. I think maybe Colorado. I've known her for years. She's so brilliant. And she is way past um, going through menopause. She's probably in her 60s now. And she said women doubt their athletic ability and they don't think they can anymore. They, they actually use the words, I can't do that now. I, I, and I experienced that too as well. And oh my God, it's just a terrible place to be when you're already feeling shitty from all those other things we've said. So the real work to me doesn't happen from taking these celebrities supplements or doing a keto diet or whatever you want to do. It's the deep and dirty work of getting your hands mucky and being really honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. And I, it doesn't, 
as much as you, uh, you know, and, and if you're goal oriented or whatever you want to call type A and you want to just flick that switch, it's, it's not that, it, it's not that simple. It's a process. I mean, it's definitely a process and it takes time, but it's, very worth it mm. it's very very oh worth i feel it. like this old wise sage like i want to sit in a tent yeah. and smoke a pipe now <laughs> i'll join you <laughs> <laughs> that'd be awesome um so so a, a little bit you know i know you have this you know you you've written a book obviously um i do want to talk a little bit about you have a workout series in the book you, that you call the the menopause metabolic resistance series and i'm super curious like what the evolution of that was, how did you discover like what you needed and what you thought that other women could benefit from as far as, you know, that system? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, going into perimenopause, I sort of, I was, a, I like doing lots of stuff. I've never, like, even though I'm a strength coach, I've always liked doing a bit of running, going for a mm-hmm. cycle, doing a Pilates class now and again. I don't believe you all need to be molded into one like form. Like, you know, you don't have to just be a CrossFitter. You don't have to just right. do yoga. So I've always done like a bit of everything and enjoyed that. Like I like that variety. Um, and then I found in perimenopause, I couldn't run anymore. Like I just couldn't run. I would go uh, as well as pee in my back, <laughs> <laughs> as well as in my pants um I didn't feel like I had that real the energy to like keep slogging through it just felt like my limbs were heavy I was really really exhausted even doing it and then afterwards my recovery was almost non-existent you know like it took like I, I felt like previously I could go for a run and then even maybe work out in the afternoon like but this one running was taking me three or four days to get over it was like I had to give that up and it was really hard for me to to sort of look and think, well, what's going to serve my body right now? Like, what actually do I need? Actually, this is where raw came into a play for the very first time. And I realized that like catabolic nature of doing the long runs and the inability to recover as well. But then I also found that when I was doing my strength training, that actually was feeling quite quite good at the end of it and so we know the recovery time for those type of workouts tends to be quicker and um, you can obviously like help be more proactive with the muscle protein synthesis as well through our nutrition so there was a few little like pointers that I found out from my own like experience but being a strength coach I've been through like a thousand certifications right um, and I have always gone for the more functional training type of aspect. So like full body workouts that are quick and efficient and do the job that work with the body as it moves in those spiral lines. And um, and I had a coach called Coach um, Robert Dos Remedios. He's a brilliant coach in um, Santa Clara. And I'm one of his um, like devotees almost. And he dug into the research and was like showing how like um, hypertrophy is best achieved, how recovery is best achieved. And I sort of applied his principles to my workouts. And so over the years, as I've coached clients, I've just tried to get them to move with body movements, which is you're pushing and you're pulling and you're hinging and your squats and your rotations and then finding a solid core base so that, you know, you've got like the engine for the movement that happens, the, the the core being like the front, back, your glutes and all of those things. And so I just applied all of the principles from my own training, that of my clients, and then the, the what, how the research showed that menopausal women recover and how they build muscle. And so I put it all together. And so essentially what I have is in the... Um, 
in, in the book is I have strength training with NEAT and the NEAT is, you know, just our walking and, and I had to replace my running with walking just so I could actually move every day but feel like I was recovering. I managed to cycle and that was fine. Um, but the, the running, I, I personally had to give up and I've heard a lot of women say that that's something, you know, that they struggle with. So I encourage women to move every day as best they can to do three strength training workouts a week, four if they have the energy, to not stress if they can't do it, like nobody's going to die if you miss your workout, like be honor, honor your body somewhat, work with your energy levels. Um, and then, um, you know, I really wanted women to sort of have an entry point into strength training if they've never tried it before, because we know the benefits for strength training is it for aging. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, mm -hmm. it's almost imperative. I feel like it should be something that's prescribed to everybody. Yeah, no, I mean, especially, especially women. I mean, we have less muscles to start with, you know, and the, and the, the precipitous decline just, I had read a study years ago about, I can't remember the percent, but it was such a large percentage of women who were 65 who like couldn't open a jar, you know, and, or couldn't lift a, a 10 pound bag of something. I was like, I, that's not okay. Like we can't. We can't do that. We have to. And and I think, do you feel the same way, Celine, that like, you know, like health and fitness in my 20s and 30s was about performance for me, like how fast, hard, strong. I'm, a, I'm like full on with everything I do. So taking a step back and pulling back was def definitely difficult for me to do. But now, like I've been through that and I'm through into postmenopause. I have all my energy back and I'm running and all of that sort of came back and I think does come back for women. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the um, now my goals are completely different. They're like, I'm not going to be the one that can't open the jar. Jar. I'm going to be the one that plays with my kids, and I want to live forever. And you know, it's all to me. More health comes first, and then performances come second. It's just been a bit of a shift for me. Yeah, I mean, I I, I definitely feel that. I, I I'm still. It's funny for me. I'm still in the competitive space somewhat, but I I it it's less motivating to me. You know, to like how oh my God, how fast can I get around this course? You know, like it, it, it's not quite as motivating as it used to be. I've got other, like I, I like things that feed me otherwise, uh, feed my soul, you know, feed my mind a little bit as well as my body now. You know, mm -hmm. and I think that is just, it's just the process. You know, I mean, it, you're not the same, you shouldn't be the same person, you know, in five years that you are now. Like mm -hmm. it, we, we should be developing and growing and evolving yeah and and, and i think and i think that that's a really great point like we, like the the comparison of our 20s and 30s we really do have to let that go because the whole point is we've gone through a change through through menopause and it's really better to sort of go with that rather than resist 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 because you're just not going to make any progress what's the point yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. i mean it's just and it's it's uh i think when you I think when you resist, 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 all you're doing is glamorizing what you were um, and undervaluing what you are. You know, like I think that That's happens great. a lot. Yeah. You know, if you look if you look back, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. And like when you looked in the mirror, I bet when you were 30, I mean, at least I did. You, you sound like less self-critical, which is amazing. But like I I have picked my part myself apart as long as I can remember having mirrors. Right. But then I'll look back at pictures and be like, you looked fine. You know, you looked pretty good. You actually and looked great. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that um, now I want to do the same thing. I'm like, 
when I'm 70, I'm going to look back and be like, you look good. You know? So I'm just going to be like, yeah. put it down, you know? It's- and uh, I think that it's not helped by the fact that we're pressured by, um, you know, the, the media and, and the memes on Instagram or whatever that like actually don't represent us at all. And then when they do represent us, they think we need to be fixed. You know, they, right. they hyper-focus on the fact we've got gray hairs and wrinkles and a fat belly and they want to, they want to like make you feel shit about that. And so, you know, I, I really encourage women to one, like filter, filter their, um, filter. anything around them, people, mm-hmm. media, all of those things. I really re- want women to change the way they view themselves in the, in the book. Um, I think we are, are, are going to touch on this, so I might jump to it. We talk about, um. I talk about how to think and how to build a resilience mindset. Go with, right into it. Yeah, yeah. I did that with a, a psychologist. It was one, somebody who was an ex-client of mine. And after our workouts, the group of us would sit and have like a three-hour coffee in the, in the coffee shop. And we'd have these really deep, meaningful conversations. And she was always a big proponent of like, focus on your strengths, find your strengths. And when you know them, you change the way you view, view your life moving forward. And, mm-hmm. and so I talk about focusing on your values and your strengths which are psychological terms to a value you know how authentically you live your life based on what your strengths are and when you take the time to analyze them it's actually a really fun test to do and I do to give the, the websites to for people to try it sort of makes decisions easier it makes self-reflection easier like, so for example, mine, um, my values were all based around family, kindness, friends, you know, and my strengths were based on, my biggest strength was curiosity, which in the psychological world means, you know, finding a topic that you're interested in, falling down the rabbit hole, coming mm. out with all the information, sharing to help people. And I suppose that's what that book is, right? Essentially. Right. Um, but now that means to me that, you know, if I live authentically by my values, which means I want to like, do everything to support my friends, family, and be kind and authentic um, Mm -hmm. whilst being openly curious, then I can say no to so many things and I can just really Mm -hmm. hone in on the things that make life important. And what's not important is the fact that I've got more wrinkles or the fact I've got some gray hair or that Mm -hmm. I didn't shower today and stuff like that. You know, like it just, this small superfluous stuff just can go. I think that's a great place to um, to wrap this up. I, 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 you've been it's really been a delight uh, talking to you. Is there anything you know? Are there other messages that you hope to to give our audience that we have not covered yet? No, I really like talking to you as well. It was like a really nice conversation because I want women to. I think I can finish on saying I want women to know that yeah. menopause isn't like a defining woman. It doesn't have to sort of be who and what you are like there's hope there's light at the end of the tunnel there are tangible things that you can do to sort of have some control there's Mm -hmm. help you can get to make this transition easier for you like birth puberty and death are all like inevitables but we don't have to be in pain to go through them right so I just I just want uh, like women to just talk and get get the knowledge base right it really makes a difference it really makes a difference. Amen. And, and thank you to, to, to the work that you're doing. I, it is not easy work. You're very, um, people should pick up the book, Menapocalypse. Um, it's very f- it's funny. <laughs> no, you're very frank. And I think that that, 
that that's that's what we need. You know, we need just straight shooting, like not sugarcoating it. Where you're just like, oh, what is she talking about? You know, like there's yeah. no question what you're talking about and no. what we're going through. We need yeah. an army of men or warriors to like to just men or warriors. Men I'll or join warriors. you. Yeah, to let's make get some our pipes change. and get in the tent and then get some swords and <laughs> run to the hills. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Well, that's our show. Join me next week when we tackle a much-requested topic, nutrition. I sat down with dietitians Hillary Wright and Elizabeth Ward, the authors of The Menopause Diet Plan. We cover the gamut. Carbs, protein, fat, calcium, intermittent fasting. You name it, we talk about it. So stay tuned for that one. And before we go, again, if you have questions or topics you want me to cover, I have an email, hit play, not pause, at livefeisty.com. Drop me a line. I've been getting some really great feedback and suggestions, so keep it coming. And also, keep all the positive momentum coming. If you like the show, share it with your friends, subscribe on your podcast platform, and give it a review. It helps the show grow so we can keep on keeping on. It's been working. I am super appreciative. So thank you so much. And until next week, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty.